0: All right. This morning, I I'm, I'm I didn't create and publish these rules, but I, as we move through this discipleship uh, series and, and helping us understand this identity that God has given us as disciples, uh, when we get to the category of the the actions of discipleship, you know, there's seven of those for us that we're paying attention to in Scripture. Seven activities that you commonly see disciples doing in the New Testament that we're aiming at as well. And we're not going to do all seven, and I definitely didn't intend to spend two weeks on any one of them. But prayer uh, absorbed me, and I just didn't feel released from it today. And so prayer is something, I just, I just want to put you in touch with yourself. Now, I don't mean this to, to be uncomfortable, unless... And, and It's uncomfortable in the way that you went to your doctor and your doctor said your blood pressure is like 300 over 190. Now, half of you are going, is that bad? Uh, That's because you don't go to the doctor. Okay, that would be really, really bad. And so if he told you that, he would just be informing you about a condition that exists. He wouldn't be creating the condition. He'd just be telling you there's something going on that's really not good. So if I were to say, hey, this morning, we're going to talk about prayer. And you were to try right now to remember the last time you had any significant prayer interaction with the Lord. Try and remember. So if you're having a hard time remembering, and I say significant prayer interaction. Not like, you know, you blessed your food or you prayed that the light would turn green because you're late. But significant prayer interaction. If if that's missing in your life, uh, you have a serious serious spiritual condition going on. Prayer is so fundamental. It is our exchange. It is our conversation with God. Uh, and this is where, for me, it, it, it rivals Bible reading. Uh, you can't pray accurately without reading your Bible, so you have to have Bible reading. But if all you're doing is Bible reading, because some people love to read and interact, but they don't interact with the God of the Bible because they don't pray. And that's not a good thing. So you can even mask your discipleship problem by saying, well, I read my Bible. But if you don't have a decent, healthy, thriving prayer life, you should be concerned. And so this morning, I want to I jump back into that subject. Uh, last week, we talked about the essential activity of prayer in terms of the kingdom of God coming among us. This week, I want to title the message, Prayer. It's complicated. A story of droughts and difficulties. So last week we picked up on, you know, great Charles Spurgeon even said that, that prayer, our asking of God for his kingdom to come into our lives, into this world. This is not something new, right? God put man as his image-bearing representative upon the earth and said, subdue the earth. Man was always, even before the fall, man was always supposed to bring the rule of God into the earth, right? There's a Garden of Eden and there's other stuff going on outside the garden, right? He put them in the garden. There's, there's some chaos outside the garden. And man is assigned to bring the rule of God into that. And how was he gonna do that? Well, he was gonna commune with God somehow. He's gonna have some kind of an exchange with God where he brought the rule of God into this world. And so Charles Spurgeon says, asking is the rule of the kingdom. But let's face it, especially in the last few years, I would say, just in talking with people and living my own life, uh, we've probably done a lot of asking that has not resulted in what we feel like is a lot of God answering. That may be true in big categories of your life personally. It may be true just in our own experiences in these last few years. But we have, we have, we've asked in some categories and the outcome didn't reinforce this idea. It didn't make us feel like, I want to go ask again. I want to go pray more. Because when I ask, wow, look what happens. Well, that's what the Bible makes it sound like. But then it doesn't always end that way. We've asked for healings. And then we've attended funerals. We've asked for marriages. We've asked for marriages to be saved and be preserved. Only to find out divorce has been filed. Only for some who have been single for a long time to continue to be single. But we asked for something different than that. We ask for storms to miss us, and we got clobbered. And that's been in our history more than one time, right? I'm pretty sure most of us who are part of Lakeview Christian Center, we stared at Katrina, and we prayed. We asked for something, and we got drowned. And some of us who did the same thing for Ida experienced that as well. We have people in our lives that we prayed and asked God to remain, and yet they have departed We have prayed for national righteousness in our nation, that righteousness would prevail. And in the last few years, we have seen more unrighteousness flourish uh, in our government, in our leadership, in the moral fiber of our country than perhaps in our lifetime. We've asked for safety. And some of us have experienced tragedy instead. So, Today is Mother's Day, and I always always want to take the mothers especially into account. And since I'm a preacher, the, the best gift that I have available to give you is to help serve our moms through a message. And so probably no one in this room uh, prays more than a mom. Moms carry people, and mom carries issues. And, and quite honestly, oftentimes moms are in touch with things intuitively just of the kingdom of God in ways that their praying, their asking probably exceeds so many others. So the more one prays, the more you bumped into this reality. You've asked for a lot of things that didn't go the way you asked. And so if you're a mom here, it's very tempting for that to take the edge off your prayer life. To maybe make it come to a halt, slow down, back up. It feels confusing. I don't get it. I don't get it. I've prayed and I've prayed and I've prayed and I prayed and i prayed and i do not get it. Uh, Well, can I just say it's complicated? Can we be okay with that by the time we get to the end of this message? That the kingdom of God coming is a little more complicated than maybe what we've understood. And the Bible acknowledges that and it still calls us to pray. So that can't be a reason for us not to pray, right? So if we have... Prayed and it didn't happen, prayed and it didn't happen. That that can't be a reason for us not to pray, and we'll see that today. And I'm going to pick it up from a passage I looked at last week. We'll look at it again this morning. James chapter 5. There's a lot in this passage. Oh, this is a rich passage. James 5, verse 16. James says, The prayer of a righteous person has great power as it is working. Period. Period. End of sentence, true statement, absolutely, that is true. Whether you've prayed a mist, whether you feel like your prayer life swings and misses constantly, that statement is biblically true. It's inspired by the Holy Spirit. Elijah was a man with a nature like ours. And he prayed fervently that it might not rain. And for three years and six months, it did not rain on the earth. Then he prayed again. And heaven gave rain and the earth Bore its fruit, right? that's, our, that's our formula, right? We're talking about being fruit bearers. We're, in, we're bringing the image of God into the earth. That's the formula right there. We pray and ask, heaven gives the rain, and God causes the miracle of fruit to be born. Then the next sentence, and I'll come back to this later. This is the next sentence. This is what the Holy Spirit stirs up in James next to say. My brothers, if anyone among you wanders from the truth and someone brings him back, let him know that whoever brings back a sinner from his wandering will save his soul from death and will cover a multitude of sins. And right, so two things I want to accomplish today. One is prayer powerfully moves the kingdom to come. Jesus taught us to pray that way. Pray this way. When you pray, pray like this. Thy kingdom come. All right. So God has built a system, if you want to call it that. Where human voices with hearts won over to the agenda of God. And that's why I say, if you have not been praying, your hearts are being won over by something else. Something's always after our hearts. So if I'm not praying and hanging out with God and my next desire that I bring before God, what's it going to be about? I don't have anything to do with the kingdom of God or the glory of God. But Jesus says, when you pray, pray that thy kingdom come and thy will be done on earth. It's not an automatic. It's Jesus teaching us to pray that way. And secondly, the kingdom coming is complex. You're praying for something by that request that's kind of complicated. And it would be helpful for us to keep that in mind. D.A. Carson's written an excellent, excellent book. I think it's a, a timely book. It's an old book, actually. But it's a timely book for our moment where there's just been a lot of suffering. Books called How Long, O Lord? He says this, for my present purposes, it is enough to discern the basic outline of the biblical plot. Everybody just get this. This is the Bible in a couple of sentences. The sovereign and utterly good God created a good universe. Don't move on too quickly. Make sure you are aware that's how things got started. The sovereignly good God created a good universe. We human beings rebelled. Rebellion is now so much a part of our makeup that we are all enmeshed in it. Stop. If you have some time this afternoon, tomorrow, Just meditate on those two sentences back to back. Because they are essential to understand. There is a good God who created a good universe, and he is sovereign over it all. And rebellion entered into it. And you and I are the brokers of that rebellion. We partner with the human race in a rebellion against the living God. That needs to be understood. Carson says, every scrap of suffering we face turns on this fact. The Bible itself centers on how God takes action to reverse these dreadful effects and their root cause, sin itself. That's what the Bible is telling us a story about. And the believer's hope is the new heaven and earth where neither sin nor sorrow will ever be experienced again. Right? Can we just take up two snapshots, a picture at the beginning and a picture at the end? You and I are in this in-between time. At the beginning, a sovereign, good God created a good universe. It had no sin and had no suffering in it. In the end, there will be a new heaven and a new earth that that same creator is creating where there will be no sin and no suffering in it either. And you and I live in the complexity of what's in between those two moments. Not simple, right? I wrote in your outline, there is some complexity to that sentence Carson uses to how God takes action to reverse these dreadful effects and their root cause, sin itself. So our prayers... That are powerfully bringing the kingdom to come are doing so where sin, suffering, human desires, and human wandering are still present. Does that make sense? It's a little more complicated than just, hey, you're supposed to pray, you're a Christian. Hey, Jesus said ask and you'll receive. A little little more information in the Bible than just those statements. Carson goes on and says this, interesting, helpful. So sometimes we get so close to something we cannot see it properly. Stand with your eyes, excuse me, one inch from a large tree and stare straight ahead for five minutes. Try to imagine what it would be like if you had never seen a tree before. Would this first exposure to a tree prove very enlightening? You must stand back a bit to appreciate the whole tree. That's not to say that there's no place for minute examination of the bark or leaf. But if that is all you examine, you lose sight of the tree. He applies this to how we read scripture, right? So also with the study of scripture, one can become so engrossed in the study of of a verse or that book that the Bible's plot, its big picture, its storyline drops from view. I want to use his great helpful imagery in the sense, not just of how we read the Bible, but how you and I pray, how we see the world, at some moment, our life within one inch of us brings a perspective to us. And, and quite honestly, most all of us are most in touch with what's within one inch of me. That's what I'm trying to interpret. That's what I'm trying to understand. that's what I'm trying to interact with. But there's another perspective that informs what's within one, one inch of me. There's the big tree perspective. My one-inch perspective on my life and the world as it exists and the kingdom that I'm praying about has got a big-picture element to it. I don't know if you've ever visited, Gene and I visited a number of years ago, Redwood Forest in California, and man, what spectacular trees. These trees are just massive. They just go up forever, and they're just something to behold. If you stood within an inch of that and somebody just blindfolded you, walked you to that and said, describe this tree. All you could see was that. You realize how hard of a time you would have describing what you're seeing? You'd know so little of the root structure, so little of its branches, so little of the the cones that it produces and, and the life that it's living within the ecosystem of everything that's around it. You just wouldn't know all that. You would know what's visible within an inch. And and this is how we live as limited human beings. We know what's visible from within an inch. And then we stand up a prayer life. And it sounds like we're one-inch specialists in a lot of what we pray about. But there's this giant kingdom that's touching the one-inch piece. You know, in my world, God, I don't know if you notice this, but there's three amps and a bump. Right here. Three ants are crawling and there's a bump in the tree right here. Can I talk to you about that, Lord? Because it's really, really important that those three ants start behaving this way and that bump in the tree. And there's a new gouge. I don't know, Lord, if you noticed the new gouge. And I'm a little concerned that looks like a caterpillar headed my way. Right? This is all we see. And this is my prayer life. And this is what I climb in and I talk to God about. But we're praying for his kingdom to come. We're praying about a tree. We're praying about the rest of something that's much bigger than us. So helpful for us to know prayer is a little complicated. And we have this phrase, prayer is a powerful force in the kingdom of God. It accomplishes much. That's what James said. It's a powerful force as it's working. The prayerful, the the fervent prayer of a righteous man accomplishes, avails much. All right, one more qualifier. Prayer that moves this world is understood to be prayer that is in agreement with God and his will. I didn't make a big deal out of that last week because I just wanted to point out Jesus connecting our asking to God's giving. But prayer that avails much, that accomplishes much is understood in the scriptures to be prayer that is in agreement with God's will. I mean, you know, I just complicated prayer quite a bit. Have you noticed that God sometimes is doing things that's a little hard to understand? Sometimes his timing is very, very different than whatever you understood. Sometimes what you call bad, God's calling good. Sometimes God is involved in creating, allowing, and ordaining circumstances that you and I would never, ever sign off on. Within, with my one inch perspective, I would never see that as good because I can't see the branches. I don't see the roots. I don't see so much of what God sees. I see within an inch. I would never ask you for that, God. I would never. And I can't believe you would do that either because I have a one inch prayer perspective. There is a will of God that you and I are relating to. John chapter 15, as we learned last week from this verse. Verse 7 says, If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. So there's this promise from God but he he clarified something he says if you <clears throat> abide in me and my words abide in you that abiding word it's a remaining it's a dwelling it's a it's a contact word it's a being within the influence you're under the influence of if if you abide in me if you are remaining relating being influenced by me. My words are abiding in you. They have taken up their life in you. They speak, you hear. They say things a certain way. You are affected by them. Your affections, your thoughts have been invaded by those words from God. Then you ask whatever you will and I'll do it for you. Right? And the Old Testament says it this way. We've often. This is one of the first verses I memorized and then someone explained it to me. <clears throat> delight yourself in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart. I got the back half down, right? Like immediately. Like I knew I had desires in my heart and there was this prayer mechanism that I could ask God and he would give me the desires of my heart. I'm all over that. One of the first verses I memorized as a Christian. And then somebody explained to me, well, there is that little phrase on the front end, delight yourself in the Lord, delight yourself in him. It's a great word. It's a little different than how it might have been translated. Uh, the, the word is, is a softness and a pliability. It, it is a word describing how you and I, when we get around the abiding presence of God, it begins to shape us begins to have its influence on us. We may have come in square, but by the time God is done, he has shaved corners off and now we're round. And and therefore we want round stuff. We came in wanting square stuff. Now we want round stuff because we have delighted ourselves in him. And we begin to ask out of those delights. John goes on in 1 John. Remember, this is the apostle John who sat with Jesus on that last night together. In 1 John, he writes an epistle. He says, verse five chapter five, this is a confidence that we have toward him. That if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. And if we know he hears us in whatever we ask, we know that we have the request that we ask of him. So there's something about the will of God in our praying. Something about us getting around, being influenced by, longing and treasuring for, wanting God's will, to invade us so that what comes out of us is a delight that his will would be accomplished. So let me jump into some droughts and difficulties when it comes to understanding prayer. Sometimes the will of God is drought. Sometimes the will of God is drought. Elijah was a man with a nature like ours. He was a righteous man. He prayed and powerful things happened. He prayed and it didn't rain for three and a half years. That's what that verse says. He prayed and it didn't rain for three and a half years. Why did his prayers accomplish that? Because it was the will of God that it not rain for three and a half years. How I many of you guys know Elijah didn't read some bad American faith teaching book that taught him about this thing in the universe called faith? And that if you'll just learn to use it, you can, you can do all kinds of things with faith. How many of you guys have recognized that there is an aspect of the faith teaching that has removed faith from God and made it its own entity? It's no longer about faith in God, it's about faith in faith. And if you can just learn to use the formula correctly and say things and believe things a certain way, you can do X, Y, and Z. It's almost as like it's been detached from God. We're not talking about the will of God here. We just are using a force that's out there. And I've even heard some of these guys teach. Unbelievers have even figured this out. Great. So they deny the existence of God, but yet they're using that which comes from God. Really? That's how that works? Stop writing books, please. (laughs) This is about faith in God who has a will. He is an entity. He's a personality. He wants certain things. Our faith is about getting in line with that. And being in touch with that. So Elijah doesn't produce a drought because he read a book on faith, doesn't know God. Produces a drought because it was the will of God to shut the water off for three and a half years. And Elijah hung out with God enough to know that's what God wants. I'm going to pray for that. That's how that worked. And this is the setting in which Elijah prayed. First Kings. Chapter 16, this leads into the stories of 1 Kings 17 and 18 that tell us Elijah's story in this season. But this is what's going into that moment. 1 Kings 16, verse 29. In the 38th year of Asa, king of Judah, Ahab, the son of Omri, he began to reign over Israel. And Ahab, the son of Omri, reigned over Israel and Samaria 22 years. And Ahab, the son of Omri, did evil. In the sight of the Lord. Let me guys know, I could preach a message right now in America on that, and it would be extremely important. Hello, America. There is this thing called evil. Not everything is good. Well, who gets to say what's evil? In the sight of the Lord. There is one and only one who gets to say what is evil. All the rest of us just repeat what we've heard. Can the church be humble enough to acknowledge that? You don't get to create your own version of what's right, wrong, good, and evil. You don't get to do that. And neither does this world. In the sight of the Lord, God gets to say what is evil. More than all who were before him, he erected an altar for Baal in the house of Baal, which he built in Samaria. And Ahab made an Asherah, another idol. Ahab did more, listen, to provoke The Lord, the God of Israel, to anger than all the kings of Israel who were before him. Can Elijah pray for the will of God to come if he doesn't know that God is provocable? Can he pray according to the will of God if he doesn't believe in a God who ever gets angry? God's chill, man. God's not bugged by stuff like that. God just wants people to be happy. Hey, do what you feel like is right for you. That's what this sounds like. If you believe God is that way, you're not Elijah and you could not have prayed what he prayed. He discerned something about God. There is evil taking place. The God I know is provoked by that evil. He's not okay with it. He is angry about this. And Elijah prays out of that insight. And his understanding of this God and his will in this moment is to turn the water off on everybody for three and a half years. All right, now can you just for a moment go with me? Do you have any idea what a complicated prayer this man is praying? He's going to shut the water off on everyone. It it didn't just get dry for the really bad people. It got dry for everyone. All right, so there we're going to learn in his story. I'm not going to read it, but they're going to learn in his story of a widow in Zarephath. She and her son live together. The water is going to be shut off on them too. What do you think she's praying about? What would you do if you ran out of water? Remember, it's complicated. She's not Elijah. She hasn't had a meeting with God the way Elijah did. Elijah's got a revelation from God. She is just watching the world around her dry up and all the food go away. And she doesn't know where the next meal is coming from. You're a mom. All the moms here. How are you praying in that moment? You probably don't realize there's a divine drought going on right now. You probably don't. I, you know, hey, in the kingdom of God, not everybody knows everything. She's probably praying for rain, wouldn't you think? She's probably praying for relief. I mean, hey, put this in the this modern context. How many of us, were, you know, as COVID was breaking out and all the complications that it was bringing, how many of us were praying for God, God, turn it up, man? God, shut the economy down to nothing. Lord, let us all just lose our jobs. Yeah, come on, God. We weren't praying that way. But there may be a prophet on the other side of the world who knew. God did COVID for reasons you might not get. Hurricanes. Right? We pray hurricanes away. And then they come and they do what they do. So... In this story, Elijah prays something that does not serve him. At one inch from Elijah, he does not like the outcome. He's, he's just pronounced a, a drought on a nation, divinely imposed. So now he's hated by the government. He's on the run. The guy can't stay in one. He's like FBI protection is needed. He's running for his life from place to place, not only because the king wants to kill him. But because the water keeps drying up on him everywhere he goes. God sends him to one place, the creek dries up. God has to use like Uber Eats to send food to the guy. He's got no food left in the land and birds are bringing him food. And then God says, hey, no more bird food either. Get up and go to this other place and I'll take care of you there. So now he's got to relocate. How many guys would love to relocate in the middle of a plague? He's relocating in the middle of that. And he moves to this widow in Zarephath and he gets there with her and guess what kind of greeting he gets? Hey, I'm starving to death. What you got to eat? Well, I guess you can go ahead and have the last meal. My son and I were going to eat it and then die. But here, you go ahead and have it. How are you interpreting that in that moment? Are you thinking God is so faithful? God is so good. God relocated me in the middle of a drought where there's no food and just dust everywhere. Three and a half years. And I get to hang out with a woman who's telling me that her son's about to die and she's about to die and I'm going to eat her last meal. Lord, is this the dress you sent me to? I'm going to check my GPS. I think I was supposed to go to some palace where a guy had a bunch of food. It's complicated, isn't it? When the kingdom of God comes in our world, it doesn't always sound like the next thing you do is going to be rewarding, easy And just kind of makes sense, right? This this is some tough spot for him to walk in. So sometimes the will of God involves droughts. Sometimes the will of God involves engaging, wandering, wandering, right? That's what what the next thing that James is going to bring up. He's going to tell us that there's this powerful thing that you're going to wield the sword, this powerful sword of prayer. And the next thing that he says is if anyone among you wanders from the truth, I'm not going to try and figure out why the Holy Spirit inspired that to be the next thing that he says in his letter, but it is the next thing that he says. And it's interesting, you and I live in a world that's filled with wandering, that is in need of being brought back. And God does some things in those moments where he goes after the wanderer to bring them back. And sometimes what he does will make you scratch your head. All right. This is not new on planet Earth. In the Garden of Eden, man makes a decision to eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And he invites and brings sin into the world and he corrupts his own heart and he causes every single one of us to become self-centered rather than God-centered. God responds to that moment by locking them out of Eden. He shuts the door and he puts guards at the door so they can't get back in. So whatever the earth is in this moment, right, of creation, because sometimes we have this tendency to think the whole earth was like Eden. It doesn't sound like the whole earth was like Eden. It sounds like Eden was like Eden. And the rest of the earth, you could be put out of Eden, still be on earth, but you're in a different setting now. And so God puts them out of Eden. Eden, and guards Eden, so that they cannot come back in. Now, you know, why exactly? Well, you know, some people have formulated the thought, well, if they had come back in in that condition and eaten of the tree of life, would that have been their eternal life? You're going to stay in this existence for the rest of eternity. You have eaten now from the tree of life with your own sense of alienation from God. Well, maybe so. But whatever it is, God's If you will, God imposed a drought on Eden for the people who had wandered from him. It's a pretty severe treatment when all you've known is Eden. And when Eden's this incredible place, it's pretty severe that you're now put out of it. Only in their sense and in ours, it wasn't three and a half years. It was going to be a long, long, long time before the new heaven and the new earth arrive. So there's a drought that's imposed by God in this moment. When humanity is filled with evil, filled all the thoughts of man, continually evil, described in Genesis. God responds to the wandering hearts of humanity by sending a flood. And the flood destroys life all over the earth. And leaves a little bitty patch of people left that God is going to now continue with. When the rain started, how would you have been praying in that moment? I kind of doubt you'd be standing there going, God, kill us all. Every last one of us, except that little group over there. Probably not, right? But you do understand, that was the will of God. That was the kingdom coming. In Genesis chapter six, it's a little complicated, isn't it? When you get to the story of Elijah, you have a wandering people who have gone off into idolatry and their hearts have wandered from God. They don't pray either. They don't converse with God. They don't sing songs to God. They're into Baal and Asherah. They have found other things more interesting, more rewarding and more faithful to them. And that's their condition. And God goes after these wanderers, and in His will, He shuts the water off to bring them back. Now, maybe you wouldn't have done that. <clears throat> and maybe unlike Elijah, you wouldn't have asked for that to be done either. But God does stuff like that. <clears throat> I thank God for the Bible that clearly explains that. But what about today's events? Is God still doing anything to bring wanderers back? Is God engaging our moments today? It's an interesting thought D.A. Carson brings up in his book. <clears throat> "Excuse me, God is still the God of all the nations. Acknowledged or not, wars, as we have seen in an earlier chapter, can be looked at from a Christian perspective in several ways. But surely one of them is the perspective of judgment. When you read the Bible and there's wars going on, often God is involved bringing judgment upon the earth. Still, most of us have swung too far the other way. We think along such naturalistic lines that we allow little room for God. We we have certainly not taken to heart the biblical portrait of God of justice, who holds all to account, both individuals and nations, and who sovereignly works out his purposes, sometimes behind the scenes in mysterious providences that use the evil machinations of mere mortals to raise up and put down entire nations and peoples. That's how God described the wars in the Old Testament. Does God still do anything like that today in bringing his kingdom to come? I'm not saying I got firsthand knowledge in any of that. But what you see and what the Bible lays out is, you know, you go back and you'll find moments when the the moving powers were Egypt and they were the reigning the world power. And then all of a sudden they kind of diminish and go away. Then the Assyrians show up. And then the, uh, the Persians and then there's Babylonians who are on the scene. And they're the dominant force dominating the world. And they come and go. Eventually, the Roman Empire stretches out across the world and brings great influence. It rises and it falls. And in the, I mean, Roman Empire, that's a historical thing. All these are historical moments. The Bible speaks about some of them. The, the British Commonwealth that spread out all over the world and then went away. America. Do you ever think of America in that context? Because we tend to think, again, this is our one-inch perspective, right? I've got a one-inch American perspective. The kingdom of God comes, and I interpret it through my one-inch view, and what I'm staring at one inch from me is America. So certainly the kingdom of God is America, right? Well, was Egypt? Was the Roman Empire? Was, don't say the British were. I know you want to say that, Peter. The British were not. But America, is America the kingdom of God coming? Do you understand America could come and go next and God could do something somewhere else with another set of people differently than he's done here. He did that with the Brits. He could do it with us. But be careful that when you and I go to pray, we don't pray from one inch. The only thing we're seeing and the only thing we pull into our prayers has got to do with America. Well, you're an American and I know how that makes sense. But there's more going on in the tree than just right here. And God even gets very specific, right? In James, he he brings up personal elements that there can be a personal wandering in our own hearts that he is addressing as well. James 4 says it this way. What causes quarrels? What causes fights among you? Is it not this? Your passions are at war within you. You desire and you do not have, so you murder. You covet and you cannot obtain, so you fight and quarrel. You don't have because you don't ask, right? That's the rule of the kingdom. But you ask and you don't receive. Because you ask wrongly to spend it on your own one-inch passions. All right, I put the one-inch in there. It didn't actually say that. You adulterous people. Do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? What is that verse just telling us? That the people of God are capable of having wandering affections. We begin to want the things that are from the world that have advertised to us and they look so rewarding and satisfying. They're the Baal, the Asherah of our day. And we want those things and we're asking for them over and over again because from one inch away, God, I'm convinced that if those three ants go left at the next turn, everything about my life is gonna be so good. God, come on, God. And then God doesn't do the ant thing. And we're kind of like freaked out like, you know, uh, you know, Keith, don't even stand up another message on prayer. I prayed, okay? I prayed. And you know what happened? This happened instead of that. This happened instead of that. I get that. I've got, I've got closet full of prayers like that, where what made sense to me got crafted out of the desires that I seem to understand the best, and God did something different. And it's helpful for me to say, okay, Keith, step away from the tree a little bit. Step back. Farther, see a little bigger than your own moment and need and recognize God is bringing his kingdom to this redwood tree and you can't even see where it ends. And you can't put your arms around it. It's massive and God is doing that. And there are moments when God is bringing things back to him. All around us, God is bringing things back to himself. And sometimes he's bringing them back through drought. The drought you and I are trying to pray away sometimes. Tim Keller said this one of the main teachings of the Bible is that almost no one grows into greatness or finds God without suffering, without pain coming into our lives like smelling salts to wake us up to all sorts of facts about life and our hearts. To which we were blind, right, you only get that if you 've ever took a whiff of smelling salt. Let me just take a quick poll. How many of you guys have ever sniffed smelling salts? Hold your hands up high. I just want to see if your brains are still connected. All right, the rest of you guys, you don 't get that verse. Can I just say sniffing smelling salts is like sucking a sledgehammer into your head. i 've never experienced anything like that now. You're saying, Keith, why did you sniff smelling salts? Because I was a weird teenager <laughs> and experimented with a lot of things. But they broke open. It was like a little pack. They broke it open and stuck it underneath your nose. I, I think a Ferrari went up my nose and slammed into the back of my head and just was reduced to rubble. I've never experienced anything like it. Uh, I, I definitely wished I'd never done it and I would never do it again. It's like, if I'm passed out up here one Sunday, do not use spelling salts on me. <laughs> Just let me die, okay? Uh, but that's a good illustration Tim Keller uses. There are moments in which God takes circumstances and passes them underneath the nose of our lives and they blast us and they're so get our attention, and they slam into us in such a way that all of a sudden we become awakened to things that we were just dead to moments ago. What's God doing in that moment? Well, he's, he's bringing us back. Our affections have gone so far to another place that he's awakening affections for him again. And sometimes, like those smelling salts, it's a little painful. Let me make one more comment here from this passage there are difficulties that James speaks of right so there are droughts that are sometimes the will of God and there are difficulties that are sometimes the will of God in our lives I think I wrote in your outline the same James who writes powerfully about prayer at the end of his letter has opened his letter preparing people to face suffering and he closes the letter engaging those who are sick and need the prayer of the elders all right, so can you get that? It's a little more complicated, right? Because you would think, well, if the church has this weapon of prayer, we could take everything down, couldn't we? If we'll just use this weapon, we'll wipe out suffering and there won't be anybody sick. That's what we'll do with this weapon. James doesn't present it that way. James presents trouble at the beginning of the book of James, trouble at the end, and in the letter he says there's this powerful thing called prayer. Apparently, prayer doesn't eliminate all the trouble in our world. James chapter 1 sounds like this. He says, count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds. You can just pray them all away. Actually, it doesn't say that, does it? Count it joy when you meet trials of various kinds, for you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. And let steadfastness have its full effect that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. So apparently there are moments when the will of God is that you and I are maturing. That's what that word really means, perfect. Not that you actually are finalized, but you are moving towards a more mature place. That's the will of God, that we would go from here to a more mature place, to a faith that's in a greater place, that God would bring us to that place. That's the will of God. Well, how does he get us there? Well, he used drought to bring people back. He uses trials to mature us. But see, when I'm staring at my little piece of the tree and and I see the spiny caterpillar headed my way, instinctively, I prayed away, God, send a bird to eat that thing. God, it's getting closer. Oh, it's, it's that one. It's the colorful ones with the spines on the back, God. And then so all I can do is just define how bad this caterpillar really is going to be when he arrives at my one inch piece of territory. And I am full blown now praying this away, praying this away, praying this away. And yet God is doing something here that it would be helpful for me to just abide near him and exchange with him and get some sense of praying in agreement with what god is doing listen if you're one of those guys you can get in line behind me that when trials come my instinct is to pray them away i mean that's the first that's the first bullet i put in the gun. Is okay god how do i get this to stop uh because obviously you're a good guy let me rehearse everything i know uh you love me uh you would not want this so god can you make all this go away Uh, But I'm reading right here that sometimes God is interested in steadfastness and he's interested in me growing and he's interested in change in my life, right? So that's not the only thing that's going on, right? We got droughts going on. We've got other stuff going on in our world that God is doing in our midst. So if I convinced you that prayer is a little complicated, but I put some of this in your outline. I'm just going to read it to you. James 1 reveals the concept of purposeful drought conditions. The idea that there can be difficult conditions that will continue and even intensify. That's what refining does. That's what trials are about. It's intense heat and it's getting turned up even higher sometimes. Yet James will still say, he's still going to say this, the prayer of a righteous man has great power as it's working. He still says that and it's still true. This powerful needed encouragement that prayer is mighty and it accomplishes things is said in a book that includes trials of various kinds, a lack of wisdom, steadfastness under trials, the temptations and lures of our own desires, wandering affections, sickness in our bodies, and people wandering from the truth. James expected his readers to be able to wield this mysterious and powerful sword of prayer in their lives, even with all these competing ingredients all around them. So when I come to a moment where I recognize prayer is so essential, prayer is at the center of all that God does. Prayer is God's means of bringing his kingdom to bear in this world. And I respond to that by saying, yeah, but I've prayed and trials got worse. Yeah, but, you know, I have wandered and other people have wandered. And, and this has happened and that has happened. And then I didn't know what to do and I, I lacked wisdom. Okay, you're all over the book of James. The same writer inspired by the Holy Spirit who turns around and apparently, apparently for James, complexity doesn't kill prayer. It just doesn't. And you and I cannot let the complexity of our lives and the kingdom kill prayer. You know, unlike a redwood tree, there are aspects to the kingdom of God that cannot be seen by us, even with a telescope. God has revealed some things about his kingdom. He has not revealed everything. So you and I don't get to see the whole kingdom so we can go, oh, oh, now I get why this is so painful and so slow. I get it now because I I saw the edge of the kingdom of God universe and now I've taken in everything. I don't get to know that. And I'm still called to wield something powerful. Prayer is powerful in the kingdom of God. And so, Raul, let me ask you to come back up. Let me finish with this one simple passage, right? We just, all this, all this complexity about prayer. And I hope I'm just being fair to the Bible, right? When I say, hey man, you, you made, you made prayer, Keith, you made prayer so much more complicated. Yes. I didn't actually make it more complicated. The Bible has always presented it as complicated you and I just chose to read one verse and ignore several others. So yes, it is complicated, but we're still called to do it. There's a lot about the kingdom of God that just goes beyond our pay grade, but we're just called to obedience. So we have these passages like this that inform us. James chapter one, the same writer of James, he says this to us. This is helpful, simple and helpful. He says, listen, Keith, every Good gift and every perfect gift is from above coming down from the father of lights with whom there is no variation or shadow due to change of his own will. He brought us forth by the word of truth that we should be a kind of first fruits of his creatures. I may not understand a lot of things, but I do need to keep in mind where we started with our help from D.A. Carson. A sovereign, good God created a good universe. The place he's creating for us in the future, it's just like that. In between, it's complicated. There's sin, there's sorrow, there's suffering, there's difficulty, there's things at work, there's God at work, there's situations where God is deciding this is better than that, it'd be better to delay that than to make that happen right now. It's complicated. But if I'm going to pray to this God, I better get the beginning and the end straight. And I better be sure about who he is. Every, Keith, every good and perfect gift in your life is from above. Every last one of them is from above. Coming down from the Father. Who doesn't change. He's not quirky. He's not constrained by some latest thing that's happened. The devil didn't come up with an idea that shut down, put people out of work in heaven. This God is good and he's sovereign. And if you need to open your prayer time, every time you get with God, I do this often. Sometimes I start my prayers with an apology that God, whatever I'm about to say is probably going to sound really stupid. But it's all I got, Lord. You call me to pray. This is your idea. Here I am. But you know what's invading the kingdom coming is my little one-inch understanding. And that's true for a lot of us, right? So I, I can't solve a lot today, but just to say the Bible teaches us complexity does not kill prayer. We pray anyway. We cling to God through prayer anyway, even if we don't understand it all, right? All right, so this morning, I know this is a message that's true for all of us. It applies for me and for all of us as well, but uh, I want to particularly apply it and I want us to actually pray specifically for all of our moms who are here this morning. So, uh, I need to do a little bit of preparation work for that. I don't want the moms to come forward. I want them to stay in their setting near the people that are being mommed by them probably. But in doing this, I'm also recognizing some people don't have their family here. And like the Christian Center, you know this, you, you are their family, right? And some of you are here and, and your mom's not here. And, and you're not a mom who has kids here with you. And, It's going to be some moms standing up here today and they're going to be by themselves. And I don't want any of the moms to be by themselves. So uh, if you could go with that mom and just get around her and pray with her and just be sensitive to the Lord as to how he wants you to pray, uh, that would be helpful. So um, do a little bit of homework. Give me a second here. I want all the moms who are with us today, if you would stand up, please, and just remain standing as we make sure you've got folks with you and around you. All right, so as you look around, you might make a mistake here, but that's okay. As you see a mom that looks like, I don't see anybody with that mom. Maybe her family's not here today. Maybe they live somewhere else or couldn't be here this morning, whatever. Could you, and your mom's not here, so it's not a problem for you to get up. If your mom is here, don't get up and abandon your mom, okay? (laughs) That'll be hard for you to explain over lunch. But if there's a mom here and you're not with your mom, could you find your way over to that person and just be with them, to pray with them? All right, so can I ask families that you're with your mom? Can you just gather around your mom and you know you're going to have a great time today, I know, but just being with mom. This is a moment for us to pray for moms. And, Seek the power in the kingdom of God to come from moms. So if you guys can find your way. This is a problem with having a multi-generational church. There's like grandmothers here with mothers and mothers with grandchildren. And all kinds of folks are trying to figure out, who do I pray for? Right, my mom's here, but my children are here with me too. Do the best you can. Ask for forgiveness later on. Um, Or just relocate your herd to wherever the rest of you guys are. So grandparents and kids can find your way to each other. All right, let's just pray. Let's let's just pray out of what we've just walked through. Let's just be sensitive to how the Lord wants to serve moms today. Lord, undoubtedly... The moms standing in our midst today are moms who have prayed in their lives. They've prayed for their children, prayed for their grandchildren and great-grandchildren. They've prayed for their husbands. They've prayed for the setting that you have given them to be a mom in. They've prayed for their church because they they wanted their family to be a part of something that was going to serve and bless the people that they were mom to. Lord, some of them have been praying prayers and praying prayers and praying prayers and praying prayers. And and they are here this morning with unanswered prayers. At least what feels like unanswered prayers. Dashed hopes. They hoped for something different, Lord, than what they've observed and what they've seen in the lives of the people they love the most. Oh, Lord, we want these moms to pray in the kingdom of God. But Lord, this has been a hard road for them. And God, we just pray for grace for them right now. Lord, now out of our own understanding, Lord, I, I know something in that category as well of things that just went in a direction different than what I was asking for. Lord, these moms need your grace, Lord. Because they have been disoriented. They, their prayer life has been disrupted. They have perhaps stumbled. Lord, they have questioned who you are and how to trust you. God, this morning, would you surround them with grace, Lord? Draw near to them this morning in a way that even though it's been complicated, Lord, you would make your presence prevalent and near to them this morning. God, we pray for moms who are right now, right now they're in a season of droughts and difficulties. Lord, they're walking through a season where there's not a lot of fruitfulness. It feels very dry. I don't see new things coming out of the ground. I don't see a harvest coming. It just feels very dusty, Lord. Dry and dusty and scary. Lord, would you use this morning to awaken in them that, that you're not off duty when droughts are going on? And you aren't somehow in another universe forgetting about this one and you are now moved on to somebody else besides them. Lord, in droughts, Lord, you are in these moments and Lord, whether it feels like they're about to eat their last meal with their children, Lord, we know the story of that woman that was not her last meal. Felt like it was gonna be, but it was not. And you were gonna show up and you were gonna provide miraculously for her. And Lord, you even were gonna raise her son from the dead. So God, would you surround our moms who feel like they're, they're in a drought season and the dust is more real than your promises. God, would you surround moms who are in difficulties right now? And God, their prayers have sounded like, Lord, in the difficulty, in this difficulty, Lord, how long would you bring this to an end, God? And God, somehow you are transforming through trial their faith to a greater place. You are bringing steadfastness into their lives, Lord. There is something being built in this moment that's so valuable that trial is worth it. And God, they're praying. And like all of us, Lord, we don't exactly know how to pray sometimes. But God, would you bring the grace for endurance to every mom who is here this morning, who's in the midst of difficulties. And God, we pray for these women. The effectual, fervent prayer of the righteous avails much, avails. It accomplishes something. It it, it is working powerfully as it's happening. Lord, would you make each one of these women that we're praying for, God, would you make them mighty in prayer? Mighty in prayer, Lord. Lord. Would you let not the complexity of their lives drive them away from you, Lord? Would you pull them near and pull them close? Would you fill their hearts, Lord? Would you abide with them and they with you, your words abiding in them and them delighting in you in such a way, Lord, that, that if they needed to pray for a drought for three and a half years, they'd be praying that way because they know you so well. They understand your kingdom coming so well. God, would you make every one of these women, Lord, what households we would have, what kingdom would come among us. As these women who are given, many of them, given to prayer, Lord, would you give them that power, Lord, give them grace to wield the sword of power that your kingdom would come in our midst. Lord, that's, that is what we pray for mothers on this Mother's Day. Lord, let your grace find their lives and their prayers for the days and months and years to come. In Jesus name, amen. Ronald, would you like to lead us in that song? <laughs> are you, are you cool with that? I think it's too late. Happy Mother's Day, you guys. And you guys at home, we love you. Happy Mother's Day. You guys be blessed extra special today.